Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast powered by Tennis Warehouse. I'm your host, Michelle, and today I'm so thrilled to have two guests today that have a lot to do with the most successful racket we've seen launched in 2019. So from Wilson Tennis, we have Michael Schaefer and Kyle Schlegel. And let me give you a little background history on these guys. Michael is the global product manager for performance rackets and bags at Wilson. He oversees the development from start to finish. He helps innovate and evolve new products and is always working to help address consumer needs. He's also an amazing tennis player, competed at the University of Oregon. So welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And then we have Kyle, and he is the global marketing director at Wilson, and he develops campaigns to support new products and the Wilson brand while working closely with his team and industry partners. So welcome, Kyle. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're so excited to have you guys here. Clash has hit the courts in a hard way in 2019. Um, Before we start talking about that racket, though, I'd love to hear why Wilson, how you guys got started into the tennis world. I think you both have a little bit of a different story. So maybe, Michael, do you want to start? Tell us how you ended up working at Wilson. I've been a tennis player my whole life, pretty much. And early on when I started playing tennis, the uh, industry side of the job really caught my eye and and I became passionate about it. I think my start into tennis equipment is very similar to that of many. And and it started when you start breaking too many strings and your parents say, hey, it's time to invest in a stringing machine because I'm tired of paying to get your racket strung every week. And uh, and so around the age of 11 or 12, uh, my dad bought me a, a stringing machine, mostly to string rackets for myself, for my dad, but also a group of his tennis playing peers and a lot of people around our tennis club. And so my fascination with tennis, tennis equipment, trying out a bunch of different strings eventually got me to the point where I was working uh, with a local tennis store in the Seattle area. And uh, the the guy running the store let me uh, string the demo rackets and kind of just hang out around the shop. And um, I spent the majority of my uh, years growing up playing tennis, but also working at a, a tennis retail store in order to help earn money to pay for lessons and uh, while I was working at the store, I would all, always have our local sales rep from a, a variety of different brands come into the store and, and tell us about um, the new products and, and kind of give us um, the whole story and, and show us everything that's coming out that year. And uh, I was always curious about what happened before it got to the sales rep. So what happened on the other end? And so that always piqued my interest. And, and I think as I got into my uh, teens, the, the tennis aspect became a little bit more important than the gear aspect. I spent a lot of time playing tournaments and, uh, and training and ultimately went to the University of Oregon and played tennis. Oregon being a uh, kind of a, where Nike started was one of the reasons why I went there because I was always, again, interested in uh, working for a sports brand. And uh and actually, the way I got to Wilson was uh, through the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, the ITA. Mm-hmm. They have a internship every summer that they hand out, and it's called um, the ITA Promoter of the Year Internship. And um, it's, it's an award slash an internship, and winning the award allows you uh, a summer internship at Wilson. And I think it's one of the best internships uh, in the tennis industry and maybe even the sports industry. 
so in, in 2013, I was one of the ITA uh, interns for Wilson, the promoter of the year. And uh, that allowed me to come to Wilson and spend a summer working here, uh, working closely with a variety of different teams, the product team, the marketing team, um, and our promotional team, kind of our grassroots team that goes to a lot of events. And so really a foot in the door at one of the best tennis companies uh, in the world and uh, allowed me to really solidify the, the fact that this was a passion for me. And um, from a timing standpoint, I, I happened to be really fortunate that a role on the product team was open. Um, and that was the role for um, the product line manager role for strings, grips, accessories, and Lux Lawn for Wilson. So it, it worked out where um, I had a great experience. I applied for the role and was able to uh, start with Wilson in early 2014. That's such a cool story. And I think it's really important for young kids out there or even parents out there to hear how you kind of made a career out of tennis without going the pro route. I know you were a great player in college and all that. So just really cool to realize that if you don't end up making it as a pro player, there's definitely so many opportunities still in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. And Kyle, I think you have a little bit of a different background. So you probably have a different perspective than some of us that have been born and raised and bred in this tennis world. Talk about how you ended up at Wilson. Yeah, I don't think pro career was uh, was part of the equation at any point. <laughs> so I, yeah, I definitely grew up around the sport. Uh, my parents, you know, still to this day, well into their 60s, play multiple times a week and still love sport. I grew up watching it, respecting it, loving it. Uh, and certainly playing it recreationally. I was uh, always an athlete, always spending time on a basketball court, a baseball field, soccer field, football field. And so in this world of specialization to sports, I was the antithesis of that and played everything I, I could. And so really grew a love for sports in general. But I can remember all the way back to family vacations as a kid. We didn't go out to, to the beach until late in the morning because the French Open was on. And it was all about watching the matches from Paris before you head out to the beach. So I definitely, again, grew up around it and, and had a love for it, but certainly didn't grow up in it in, in the same way that Michael did. So after college, I, I worked at Procter & Gamble uh, for 13 years doing market research, brand management, uh, kind of moved around the world. Um, working on a number of different brands, but then had kind of that midlife crisis moment that a lot of us do of, you know, I, I'm enjoying the work, I'm enjoying the people, but it's not at the end of the day what I'm really passionate about. Right. And so I spent some time trying to figure out what that was and how do I marry a love of sports with the marketing skills and background that I had developed and happened to be really blessed that at the time Louisville Slugger was looking to reinvent itself and they were looking for a seasoned marketer to come in and, and help lead that process. Uh, and so I left Procter & Gamble in 2012 to go to, to Louisville Slugger. Loved my three plus years there. We really did entirely reinvent the brand and uh, it caught Wilson's attention. And, and actually Wilson ended up acquiring Louisville Slugger uh, in 2015. And so as I came and, and helped the transition of the baseball business, I got to know the tennis team quite well at the time and, and was offered the opportunity to move from baseball over to, to lead marketing globally for the, uh, the racket sports business. So been in the role for four years now. Uh, I certainly spend a lot more time on a court than I, I did in my prior life and, and really love the court uh, even more today than I, uh, than I ever did before. Uh, but yeah, very different journey from Michael, but uh, here we are. Uh, yeah. We're here trying to get Clash and other, uh, other rackets and products in hands. 
That's awesome. And I think you guys both bring such great perspective to the company. And we can just dive right into talking about Clash because it's been such a well-talked about a racket this year. And it definitely is something that feels different than anything else that I've hit with in a long time. So let's kind of start at the beginning. How did the idea come about? Was there something missing in the industry? And how did you know that this could fill that void? Yeah, so I'll go ahead and answer that, Michelle. Um, we didn't really set out to build the most flexible racket in the industry. What we set out to do was to create a product in the industry um, that was really unique. Uh, we, we called this product the uh, UCT team, uh, which stands for the Undisputed Champion in Tennis. And our goal from, this, from the onset of this project was to make a racket that felt different and, as we said, made other rackets obsolete. So it was really an audacious goal that we set out to achieve, but... What that allowed us to do is really think out of the box and, and be creative. So we got a team together, a cross-functional team, a combination of myself, engineers, uh, marketing, social media people, designers, industrial designers. And we went through uh, about a 18-month process where we really dove in from a design thinking-led approach and tried to figure out what the problems in the industry were. And so... We went through this kind of extensive process of diving in, doing research with customers, um, doing research with tennis players, coming up with brainstorms. And so we, we have a room in our innovation center that we call the war room. And this is a room that's lock and key that you can only get in if you know the passcode. And all around the room, there are ideas and pictures and drawings. And this was really the hub of where we spent all of the time on the Clash project. So with, with that in mind, we, we got to the point where we had a bunch of different ideas and we eventually narrowed, I think, over 400 ideas down to about six. Wow. And we started prototyping them with the goal of getting them out on the court and hitting them and, and seeing how these different ideas uh, eventually lived up in the playtesting process. And I think the most kind of aha or wow moment was the first time we hit the initial prototype of what the Clash uh, would eventually become. And, and this racket would look nothing like what we launched, completely different design and completely different geometry. I have a quick question I want to interject real quick. Being in the industry, we know that there are people that have been here way longer than all of us have spent their whole life in the industry and could be our parents and all of that. Did you ever feel at any point in this process that you were scared to present ideas or maybe, you know, you had the crazy idea and you just didn't know if it would move forward? Or was everyone at Wilson pretty encouraging and everyone was open to hear anything with these different ideas in your war room? It sounds like such a creative space. Yeah. So the war room is is pretty much free thinking. So any okay. idea is not going to be shot down as as too crazy. Nice. You get to the point, maybe uh, a few steps down the road where you have a racket that might be different than what's been launched before. And with different always comes uh, skepticism. Right. <laughs> but the goal is to um, have tennis players around the world speak for the product or the idea. And, and that's really the mindset that we took with Clashes. Uh, as soon as we got the prototype, another member of the project team, Annie Safransky, who runs our social media and was, is a great tennis player as well, uh, we got out on the court and we started hitting this racket. And about three minutes into it, we both realized, wow, we haven't missed the ball. That's crazy. And, and Annie uh, takes big swings at the ball. So she she really goes after it and, and is uh, all or nothing type player. And so for her, she was like, this is crazy. 
I've never made this many balls in a row in my life. And so that's when we knew we had something special. And and on top of just having the ball go in, it it was a racket that felt completely different. Right. So Annie and myself became very hyped about the idea uh, of this racket, almost to the point of being obsessive and, and not talking about anything else. And when we had these meetings and these brainstorming sessions, Annie and I would just go down the path of talking about this revolutionary flexible racket idea. I love that. I love when someone gets passionate about something and that's all they can focus on. And it just makes every day so fun. And you're just looking forward to the work and you just kind of dive in and get after it. So about a year ago, let's say, let's go back a full year. Did you already have this prototype ready to go or were you guys still in that process of finding it? So the first time we hit the racket was probably November 2015. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and like I said, it's a racket that you wouldn't recognize as a clash at all. Right. But we spent a lot of time taking that concept in the geometry that it was in and the frame that it was in and trying to figure out how you can take that base idea and turn it into something or turn it into a product that's commercial, that targets a wider variety of players, that has a, a unique design on it. And that will ultimately go through all of the uh, quality control tests. Of, this is a racket that was completely different from a manufacturing standpoint. So we had to train our factories. We had to train our R&D department and our, our quality control department to really understand how we build this racket. I was just going to say, it was awesome to see the passion of Michael and Annie and others on the team because we knew that there was something there. But to your question, yeah. you know, are there skeptics? Are there barriers that you hit? And there absolutely are, right? So as, as you're developing a racket that at its core is meant to perform differently than any other racket before it, it, it makes people scared, right? It, it's, uh, it's not a, an iterative improvement to something that's out there. Yeah. And so I think the key to that process, one was the passionate folks from inside the building, mm-hmm. but the second one was hearing the voice of the consumer. Uh, and so there were so many play tests done and that whoa video that, you know, I know you guys have used and, and so many have seen, that was legitimate, right? We put mics on, on people everywhere from, you know, top 10 tour players to those that are playing, you know, three, five, four, oh, you know, leagues locally. And the reaction was the same every single time. Yeah. We didn't tell them what they were supposed to feel. We just said, hey, try the racket and, and tell us what you think. And every single time it was that immediate reaction. And I think the final step for anybody, and I know we'll get to this from the marketing side is, you need to hit it for yourself. Totally. So every person internally, um, I would say, has immediately become a disciple of this product the first time they hit it on a tennis court. Uh, and so I think that made the process of you know, the work that Michael has done for now three or four years through to our sales organization out into the field. Each time somebody hit it for the first time, it, we didn't have to sell them on the idea any longer. They were in. Yeah, I remember the day you guys came out to San Luis Obispo and I wish that there was a video recording us because the first thing we did was our play test and it had the Dazzle cosmetic and I definitely want to talk about that too. But the racket looked so unique. It was so different. And I think for sure a few of us said, whoa. And something that I've been saying about this racket every time I play with it is it's a lot of fun. It's a really fun racket for me. And I know people kind of laugh at that or they think I'm BSing them or something. But it was one of those rackets that I could go out and hit for an hour and I would just rip balls. And it's just like, wow, that ball went in. This is an awesome racket to hit with. I was just having fun again. And sometimes tennis can be challenging. It's nice to kind of 
remember why we play the sport. So I think you guys have done a great job capturing the audience, capturing players from all ages, all levels, and we can start talking about some of the marketing that Dazzle Cosmetic, who came up with the idea? Did you guys know black and white was going to be so trendy <laughs> when you decided on it? Um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty funny story, actually. So our office in uh, our European headquarters is in Munich. And the office happens to be right next to a BMW office of some sort. Mm -hmm. And so you go into the parking lot there and these car, what's called car dazzle. So I'm not sure if everyone knows this, but there's a lot of car testing that is done on the road. And in order to camouflage the design of the car and the, the shape and the geometry and lines of the car, they, they put this dazzle pattern on the outside so that if any competitors are looking and taking pictures, they're not going to be able to really pinpoint what's different or unique about the car. And so that was really the inspiration. And uh, our, our general manager here, Hans Martin Ray, is a, uh, he's German and, and a big uh, BMW uh, fan. And so it was actually uh, his thought or his inspiration about taking that design and applying it to a racket because the racket was unique, both in um, the geometry and design of the frame. But then also taking it a step further of early on in the process, like Kyle mentioned, uh, we knew that when we had it in people's hands, they felt a difference and they had this positive reaction. Yeah. So even though we had a, a launch plan scheduled for uh, February of this year, we wanted to get it into as many people's hands as early as possible in order for them to really um, understand that we have something exciting coming and just to uh, allow more people to to test this racket because we were so passionate about it. It's not something we wanted to keep under wraps too long because we just wanted to get it out there. Yeah, I think you guys did a great job. And I kind of wanted to speak to that as well, because oftentimes we see pros using new rackets and then everyone says, oh, what are they using? But you guys flipped the script and you got the rackets into junior players' hands and average club players' hands. Tell us the thought process on going to the average tennis player instead of using a pro to help grow your clash business. Yeah, I, I think that the average player, if you will, is the one that's going to experience the biggest change in their in their on-court performance. And you know, Michelle, as you mentioned, the enjoyment. Yeah. I mean, we have access to tennis courts all the time here. We have access to rackets all the time. And I've never seen the organization more excited to play tennis than I have in the last year with the Clash Racket. Oh, that's so cool. Like you get butterflies when you walk past a tennis court now knowing what the experience can be like on the court with that racket. And so it was all about how do we create that same experience for others? This is not a top down, you know, because Roger uses it, because Serena uses it, you should use it too. Right. This was about experiencing it for yourself. And so, you know, as Michael shared on the Dazzle camo, we loved that idea. And then it was about how do we create a wave of response to that? Not doing the blacked out rackets that Wilson and others have done. How do we have it stand out? And so we sat down and put a list together of about 600 individuals around the world. Uh, as you mentioned, some of them were juniors. Some of them were Wilson advisory staff coaches. And for the first time for us, a lot of them were social media influencers. Maybe they were players, maybe they were not, but they had a social following and their following was really built around the sport. Mm -hmm. So we went kind of guerrilla style and got those Dazzle rackets out to those 600 folks in a very different way. You know, the materials that were included uh, with the racket were very much part of this revolutionary concept. And then we gave them, each of them instructions to, to how to share the story, right? Right. Um, what handles to use, what hashtags to use, but also how to share it with those that were immediately around them and that they could influence also. Yeah. And one of the things that we heard from our sales forces for the first time in their careers, they walked into a 
you know, into their retail partner to sell the racket in. And the conversation started from almost how many can we get our hands on and when, rather than having to tell the story of the racket. And I think the Dazzle Camo and, and that that seeding plan, it was a big part of that foundation. For sure. I, I even had an experience the other day. I was going to brunch with a family friend and I walked in and gave her husband a hug. And the first thing he asked me is, where's the clash? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> so I, I, you definitely got it trending and it became uh, very buzzworthy, I think. And then once it did launch, that was really fun too. And you guys came up with this idea of having a bus tour, which that's never been done in tennis as far as I know. Maybe it has, but tell me about the thought process behind that. Tell me about what you guys did on the bus, what was going on, uh, if there's any fun stories you can share. Uh, sure. We can come up with lots of those. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the bus breaks down, sometimes, yeah. Uh, what we were thinking about is, I mean, globally, we do 3,000-ish demo events a year. And we try to reinvent it every year. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, a demo event in the tennis industry has largely been the same for well, decades, probably. Right. And so what we wanted to do is how do we bring a unique experience to that event? How do we find the right partners for that? How do we spread the message across the country? You know, if we're doing a couple hundred demo events in a month around the country, it's hard to create a, a cohesive story around those. Right. And so what we were trying to do is figure out is how can we have a, you know, a central hero, if you will, that carries that story around the country. And so we hired a couple of folks to drive that van around the country. One of them is a acclaimed videographer. Another is, uh, has been a, you know, an elite tennis player herself, but also a personality in the, in the space. And they had this great vibe of on camera, off camera, getting out on the court and putting the racket in people's hands. And so the tour started, in, in New York in early February, uh, went all the way across the country to Indian Wells, cut all the way back across the country to Miami in time for the Miami Open and then back to Chicago. So we did 45 events over the course of about 60 days. Wow. And there were definitely some, some interesting stories as Clash gets presented for the first time. I think the one that stuck out to me the most is Kirby was our on-camera and on-court leader of the tour. And she would present this idea of, you know, there's this racket that's available, you know, that that is all about power and control. And she said multiple times on the tour, people would bring up the fact that, man, they've always wanted those two things, but it was never available in a racket. So they've actually carried multiple rackets in their bag, one oh for goodness. power and one for control. <laughs> and I never, like, that never would have crossed my mind that, you know, consumers do that. But, you know, in my entire life, every brand I've worked on, every industry, there's, there's always some compensating behavior where the consumer has to hack their way to, you know, the benefit that they're looking for. And, you know, for the first time, it was all in one racket. Yeah. And then the other thing we heard over and over again on the tour, and what we know, you know, you guys and us are all facing is people are not buying rackets as frequently as they once did. Right. And a lot of the answers you get when you ask is, well, nothing's really come out that mattered enough or that was different enough or innovative enough to cause me to put down the racket I was using five years ago, 10 years ago. Right. And the, I think the bus tour brought to life for those individuals that, man, there's finally something here that allows me to put down my 2009 racket and pick up a new one. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I actually got a little bit of that bus tour. I got to check it out at Indian Wells and it was legit. You guys did a great job. It looked amazing. Now, 
let's say someone out there hasn't tried The Clash. I can't imagine. I feel like everyone's given it a go. What are a couple sentences you can say? I know we all continue to say you just have to demo it. It definitely feels different. Just get it in your hands. But what can a player expect? Is there a certain racket you would say like, oh, if you use this, you'll love Clash? Or what would you guys recommend if someone's like still considering trying it, demoing it? Maybe they just want to buy it, but they just haven't pulled the trigger. Yeah, I'll go ahead and answer that. Mm -hmm. So like you said, the first thing we would tell people is put it in your hands and try it, go out and hit it because it it, it does offer a different experience than any other racket. And so we'd be hard pressed to compare it to anything else in the market. Okay. But what it really does is from testing with a bunch of players, reading and, and talking to people after it's been in the market is it allows people, number one, a different response on the strings from a contact feel standpoint than anything else in the market mm-hmm. because it is so soft and it does have increased dwell time. And then additionally, it kind of gives you a little bit more room for air because it does sit on the strings a little bit longer. Uh, it just allows players to to hit more balls in. And then a lot of players also feel like they have more spin. So again, I'd be hard pressed to compare it to anything else. But like you said, you kind of have to just try it. Yeah, I love the pocket feel. For sure. And, and one of the ways that we talked about it internally and externally was we were very intentional that we did not release specs at the initial launch of the racket or as we started to tease it more publicly. Because the first question people have is, what racket is it similar to? Right. What's the weight? What's the head size? What's the, you know, where's the balance point on the racket? And what we were trying to stay away from was providing any of that information because honestly, we believe it's insignificant. Right. All of that is moot. It has nothing to do with the Clash racket. And one of the lines that I know Michael shared with me as we were brainstorming campaign ideas and things was <laughs> love at first forehand. Nice. And it was just like that first time you hit a ball, it doesn't matter what racket you were using before. It doesn't matter what specs you're used to using. This was a, an all new experience. But we, we love to actually create that gap essentially from the world that you used to live in from a racket standpoint and the world that's available to you now. Yeah, I think it's also, uh, I I think I said it in one of the videos that we did on Clash. It's just kind of a nice racket to breathe new energy into tennis. So even internally at Tennis Warehouse, we have a lot of people that have worked here for a long time, but they haven't picked up a tennis racket in several years. And I was so excited to tell them about Clash and just kept saying, you got to get it in your hands, go down, schedule an hour on the court, and I promise you, you'll have a good time. So I think just saying that it's a unique experience It's definitely something that isn't comparable to anything else, which is really cool. In an industry where we see a lot of similarities sometimes, um, it's nice to have something stand out as a different racket. I'm going to transition from there a little bit. We haven't seen a ton of Clash rackets on tour on the ATP or the WTA. We're good friends with Nicole Gibbs, so we know that she uses a Clash 100. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the tour presence for Clash. If we're going to see more Clashes on tour, maybe you're not pushing it so much. What about Clash on tour? Yeah, Michelle, that really goes back to kind of the start of the Clash project, which was we want to do things differently. Mm-hmm. And it felt like in the industry for the last 10 years or so, it was really hard to put a racket out there without having tour support on it or having tour players using it as well. And so early on, our goal was to make a racket that could speak for itself without having to have tour endorsement. And with that being said, we've had a ton of interest from our tour players. I think they've also seen some of the marketing that, that we've done and the social media posts about it. So it wasn't our initial 
focus to go out there and, and get tour players on it. But we will be doing a lot of testing with our players in the offseason. For the Clash franchise, it's really important to us as we go forward and, and continue to test with our tour players. But one other thing on that note is, even though we didn't necessarily anticipate a ton of tour players switching to this racket, at least in the, the first year of, of launch, we know that the tour players are the most in-tune tennis players on the earth with their equipment. And we felt that we could tap into that and, and kind of get their insight on how the racket plays right? Uh, and what's unique about it and, and really understand if they can feel something unique, different and better with the racket. And so that video that Kyle talked about earlier, that Woe video, mm-hmm. again, 100% authentic. We were just really excited about the racket and we wanted to get additional feedback. And so we do a photo shoot in Indian Wells every year and uh, we took about 10 to 15 minutes with each player and took them out onto the court and had them hit the racket. Didn't tell them anything about it. Just wanted to get their authentic, natural reactions. And and that was that video that, that came out. And overall, players were just very excited and kind of almost shocked when they tested the racket because they picked it up in their hand and they had, I guess, some expectation of how it would play based on the way that the frame looked and felt in their hand. But the second they hit the ball, they they uh, knew that something was different and unique about the racket. And I think we had uh, about 20 of our players testing the racket at that photo shoot. And it was just a great time. And, and the feedback from the players was fantastic. Yeah, that was a really cool commercial. I do have to ask just because, you know, Roger, did Roger try the clash at all? Or has he? Uh, he has. Yeah. Oh, um, really? That's awesome. He- he tried it at the uh, at the shoot this year. I, I don't anticipate him moving away from the RF ninety seven, but no, uh, I don't. <laughs> but uh, he he had a very similar reaction. Cool. That kind of wow moment. Yeah, to build slightly on what Michael just said, this is their livelihood, right? They take their equipment very seriously. Yeah. They don't make changes lightly, and so I think we've known for a while that for tour players to switch to it, it was going to take a little more time. It was going to take time for them to get more familiar with it because it is such a difference versus what they're using today and what a lot of consumers we're using today. So we certainly are, are hopeful that when the uh, the beginning of the 2020 season rolls around, you'll certainly see it have expanded on board. Nice. That's awesome. And then I was going to ask you guys real quick, what are your current rackets of choice? How has Clash changed the rackets of choice internally at Wilson? I have a good friend that works for you guys, and I know she made the switch. And it was before I had been presented the racket. So I was kind of like, oh, of course you did. But then uh, once I've hit with the racket, spent several months testing it, I knew exactly why she switched. So what about you guys? What did you use before? Did you make the switch? How many employees are using Clash right now? Yeah, I, I would say I've been through a number since I, I got here. I was not playing very often. And uh, it was that kind of game improvement brought power to my game. Mm-hmm. Next thing I knew, I was using a blade as I kind of got more comfortable on the court. And since the first time I hit the 100 tour from Clash, it, I haven't touched another one. And <laughs> I'm, I've, uh, you know, we also launched LXN Smart earlier this year right. as well. And so for me, it's Clash 100 tour with LXN Smart at 44 pounds and I can't picture walking on the court with something else in my hand now. Nice. Yeah. And for myself, I, I grew up playing with uh, kind of heavier, smaller head size rackets and mm-hmm. uh, transitioned to the, I used the six one in the juniors and I transitioned to the blade in college. So uh, my first two or three years at Wilson was whatever blade I could find uh, and get my hands on. And uh, now I actually use the clash 100. So I use the lighter version. Wow. And I've actually gone down a grip size. So I used four and three eight. Oh. Now I'm uh, using four and a quarter. So 
If you told me uh, five years ago that I'd be using this racket, I probably wouldn't believe you. But I found that the lighter weight really allows um, you to get the racket head speed. It allows you to, to swing kind of more modern uh, on the clash and get some extra spin. And like I said, I feel like I can't miss a ball. That's always a good feeling when you're walking on the court and you feel that confidence. <laughs> so let's wrap it up a little bit. Moving away from Clash, we have the Blades coming out soon. Anything you guys can let us know or talk about for at the moment about the Blades? Yeah, so we don't want to, to speak too much on it and, and spill the beans, but yeah, we, we kicked off this project probably about two or three years ago. And really what we were trying to do with Blade is understand who's using Blade. It's become so popular, especially with competitive players. If you go to a, a tournament now, you see almost half of the players on the court using a Blade racket. So we spent a lot of time talking to these players, understanding what they really like about the racket. And the number one thing that kept coming up over and over was that these players really loved the feel of the blade racket. And so all of the development or the majority of the development really focused around keeping the identity and the DNA of what the blade is, because we've had it around for six versions. This will be version number seven, but increasing and enhancing the feel in the player's hands and at the contact point. So that's what I can say about it. Okay, that's a good sneak peek. <laughs> you you can look forward to some you know some players on court with it uh, starting the U.S. hard court season and uh, unveiling it shortly thereafter. But uh, yeah, we're excited about it. Awesome. You know, Clash was all about a revolution, right? It was mm-hmm. bringing something brand new that the industry hadn't seen. We know that the Blade consumer has loved that racket and has stayed with it through the the six generations, or a lot of players have. And so it's less about revolution and more about continuing to refine it, continuing to optimize it for that player. And I think you'll see certainly an improvement as it comes out. Nice. I know we are very excited for that play test as well. So we've been out hitting it and I think people are going to be really happy with the update. Now, last thing, I just wanted to ask you both to give... A piece of advice when dealing with a tough situation, I'm sure through the years of developing Clash, you kind of hit some obstacles. I'm sure as fun as those passionate days were, there was probably a hard day here and there or times where you felt like you're stuck, you couldn't move forward. So if you guys could just share with our listeners your best piece of advice, just moving forward, just something to deal with the obstacles. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's it's quite simple. And it's if, if you really have passion about something, like we had passion about the clash racket and the prototypes and the project you just have to to stick to your guns and be as persistent as possible mm-hmm. persistence was a big reason that that clash came to market when it did and how it did and uh, i think if you can like i said stick to your guns good things can happen for sure i would 100 percent agree with that and then uh, a couple of things from my side is having spent time outside this industry and outside of the sporting goods industry in general i think every once in a while it, we have to remind ourselves that, wait, we get to work in this sport. Like we, Part of our job is to walk onto a tennis court and hit tennis balls and talk about right. and go to events, right? <laughs> so there's a little bit of that that you need to remind yourself of every now and then. And then I would say specific to, to Clash and projects like this, it's remembering who we're doing it for. Remember that the consumer is at the center of this whole thing. And you know if they love it, which they did, I think it just empowers us to feel that much more confident in that persistence. Right. You've got a voice outside the building that's clamoring for this and loves it. Yeah. Uh, and you just need to remember to keep at it, keep bringing that to the table, whether it's an internal or external audience. Those are both great pieces of advice. I'll definitely use them on my next rough day. Where can people follow Wilson Tennis? Where can they start becoming an influencer for a clash? All of that good stuff. Where should they they join in on all of the fun Wilson stuff going on? Yeah, we're, we're building our social influencer base right now. Okay. Wilson brand ambassadors that we're identifying 
you know, at least weekly at this point. Uh, so follow us at, at Wilson Tennis across Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and uh, and let us know why you you should be a Clash ambassador. That's awesome. And we definitely recommend if you haven't tried it, get a Clash in your hands, demo, buy it, just grab your friends, just try it. We promise it will be awesome. Anything else you guys want to mention before we wrap it up? Thank you for having us on. Uh, you know, as you can tell, the story that we love to tell, it's not often that we have a story uh, that anybody in the industry has a story like this to tell. So anybody that will listen, we love telling the Clash story. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We loved having you on Talk Tennis. And hopefully we'll speak to you guys again. Maybe when the Blades come out, we'll have you guys back. And everyone else that's listening, we would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a comment and let us know what you would like to hear on Talk Tennis or any questions you might have for us. And until next time, happy hitting. Happy hitting.